0: I think this is bigger than the internet. I'll put that out there. Holy crap! Um, so what they did is they marketed it. They gave it a rubbish name. Chat GPT is a stupid name, but they don't care because now everyone wants it. So then people are calling up companies like us and they say, "We want some Chat GPT. Can you give us some?" <laughs>
1: Uh, This is a podcast. It's called Insights as a Service. I'm Brendan and this week we are talking all things AI. In particular, we're going to be talking about uh, exactly what is AI, uh, the roadmap to where we are now, how we got to where we are now with chat GPT and GPT everything, uh, really the variations of GPT, um, the, the way that businesses need to handle this new reality And what telcos and MSPs can actually do to utilize this tech to enhance support and provisioning processes and customer experience generally. And because I am completely incapable of answering any of those questions, I have Tim Warren with me, the CEO and co-founder of Ambit, a company that has been in operation since 2017, uh, developing a lot of AI tech uh, from that time, but more recently since 2021 using GPT, uh, which we're going to understand a lot more about in a second, uh, to deliver uh, great outcomes for company service teams. Uh, Tim, I'm not sure I did a great job of that. So why don't you uh, start by telling us about Ambit and about yourself?
0: Yeah, good. Hey, that was a good introduction. I, I, I won't improve on it. I'll just add to it a little bit. So no, you hit all the key things there. Look, like what we specialize in is is customer service, and it could be internal customers, could be external customers, and it could be customers of your customers. So I think it ties in well, uh, quite well to, to what you do. Uh, we have been in operation, as you mentioned, since 2017, and we tend to span across uh, any, anywhere that needs customer service. So retail and utilities is really big. We've worked in IT support, so help desk type things, and a range of areas. So my, my background is uh, my background is in computer software. I've, I've been doing that since I was uh, since I was a teenager, and I studied that and I worked in that, and I've done a few other things as well. So a little bit of life experience.
1: Nice. And and you're over in Auckland, uh, of course. and um, Well, not of course, you're in Auckland. Uh, and uh, I, I guess the... I always think of New Zealand as quite a, a forward-thinking uh, country when it comes to software development. What was it, though, that in 2017 got you going, right, this is the space, AI is the next thing, whether it's MPL or, or GPT, which you came across later on, what what got you into it?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of a confluence of, of events. So uh, myself and and my co-founders and, and my kind of broader brains trust that I tapped into. First off, we had the most important thing, which is we had some time and we had a bit of uh, money to be able to support ourselves while we were doing a lot of thinking. So a lot of thinking was done and we ran through probably 30 different business ideas. And the idea was, let's come up with something based in technology that's going to be a hard problem. That other people are going to struggle with Mm -hmm. and something that we can do well for whatever reason. And the the two ideas that floated to the top were, and it was early for both of these. So it was something with blockchain or it was something with artificial intelligence. And we discounted blockchain early on because we thought almost all of the use cases are kind of non-legitimate. Businesses, there's okay. a lot of unusual things, and not not nothing against the technology. It's just a tool, but unfortunately, the technology does lend itself to people that are trying to avoid being uh, being seen and, and have audited and you know compliant financial transactions, as it were. So we thought, you know, we'll leave that to others. Um, plenty of plenty of place to play. Um, 2017, of course, that was the year of the ICO. I don't know if you remember that and. And before you knew it, um, the the um, initial coin offering, so unregulated oh. IPOs, and it, you had you had companies that would you know they'd literally wake up in mum's garage that morning and launch an ICO and raise a hundred million dollars by the afternoon, and um, it felt a little bit like oh maybe we've we've missed the game here, but we stuck to our knitting, which is let's solve a real problem hmm. that really exists, and with AI, what had happened is that the advent of mass compute power through cloud had enabled a much more powerful and sophisticated implementation of AI than had been previously available through desktop means or even a standard server kind of a means. So we had the way of delivering it, we had mass cloud availability through AWS and the like, and we thought, hey, well, this is something we can do. The area we decided to apply it to, customer service, was the fact that It was a high volume, high demand area. So uh, at that time, it was uh, a lot of companies that were saying, hey, how can we do something innovative? And while we played a little bit to the innovative card, what we really wanted to do was solve genuine problems. And so that's where we started in in customer service.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, good conversations start with the question, what problem can we solve? What problem are we looking to solve, right? So um, the solution sort of flows on from that. So so let's talk about what you, there's a couple of terms I've already thrown out, right? Um, uh, NLP and, and GPT. Do you want to just talk us through the what they mean? And yeah. uh, I guess the kind of basics, because when we think AI, people just, I don't know, I, I think a lot of us just throw out the term, I'm probably guilty of that, without really thinking, well, are there different types? Where does it start? What does it have to be before it really is AI? Uh, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Can, can you give us a bit of a sort of a, help us understand these terms?
0: Yeah, first I think I'll just flag something that I don't I don't particularly like the term artificial intelligence. And while it's too late for me to go and try and be <laughs> yeah. a yeah, one-man band to go and I think that horse goat. is bolted, yeah. Yeah, I use the term uh, synthetic intelligence, um, not with other people because no one knows what I'm talking about. But the idea is that this is something that we are creating. We have synthesized it. There's nothing really artificial about it. It's through a different means. Anyway, I'll put that out there.
1: And, That's uh, good to and table. Topic. I can use that so, and sound smart in another setting, so it's good. It does Thank sound you. very smart. Thank you just you. said
0: that. You just, I
1: could, yeah, I could see the propellers going. Yeah, there. absolutely. Just, <laughs> so, to, just to get a pen. Carry on. <laughs>
0: so um, we, it's an artificial intelligence. So what is it? So intelligence that wouldn't otherwise be there if it wasn't for us. Right. So the original uh, discussion and definition around artificial intelligence was something like simply Making a computer do something that we believe requires intelligence, right? And actually a lot of, a lot of animals can do a lot of that stuff as well. So it needed to go beyond that. So then it became a humans creating a machine that can do something that requires human type intelligence. So, well, and while I think animals can be a lot smarter than humans in a, in a range of ways, um, that's the way it, it roughly was defined. So. Then you look at, well, how's it developed? Really, uh, the, the advent of the computer sprung out of the Second World War. And as you went through into the 50s, then you had all kinds of things that are enabled. And there were two directions of computing. There was deterministic computing and there was statistical computing. Deterministic computing happened to win. And that's the thing that you know that we're talking to each other through. And it's, it's black or white, one or zero. If now, I statistical do this, this happens. Yeah, yeah. If, if this, then that. Okay. Statistical computing is about getting a sense for things and and uh, learning and making assessments based on lots of data, where it's all grey area and there isn't a hundred percent black and white too. Over time, that has drifted into the area of being called artificial intelligence. Mm. So there's it? You know, lots of people, academics would probably be shocked at that. But if you want to explain it simply, it's statistical computing. And that starts to explain quite a few things. Let's move forward to what's happened more recently. In probably, I guess, the first kind of thing that might have impressed people could have been something like IVR. So um, IVR, instead of saying push one or push two, it said say yes or say no and it had roughly a model on how to understand what is a yes eh, eh sound and what is a no different vowel sound there mm. really simple way of doing it and then that expanded out from there so you can say you know some quite sophisticated things to an rvr and it can send you in the right direction but it's not very natural and that's this is where the term natural language processing comes from nlp it's not the neurolinguistic programming um some people think it's the same, but actually quite different.
1: I'm one natural of those people. language
0: understanding is just um, understanding what people say and turning it into what they want to do. And there's complicated terms that people will say in utterance, which is what you say, and in, in intent, which is what you want to do. But let's just call it what you want to do. So, a bunch of different natural language processing algorithms are available. So, you can read in a sentence, doesn't matter if it's spoken or or typed, everything's reverted down into typed, and you can break up the words and work out what people probably mean. And if you're going to, say, an airline, and you say, I want to book a flight, it's an airline, so it knows you probably want to do something with flights. So it's got a few clues. You have to train it on what those intents might be. It's not going to sell you a new pair of shoes, even though you might want it to if you ask of that, you're going to be disappointed with the outcome, but it's not going to be very surprising. Yep. Uh, so this is where the concept of the, the NLP, which was um, essentially phrase matching, and it didn't have to be exact. So you could say the same thing in a range of different ways. And we had really clever algorithms, and we still do have really clever algorithms that can match things much more statistically into what you want to do. So that was kind of, that was kind of a, a good way of doing it for many needs, for for most needs actually, uh, but it was a bit laborious to put it together. So we have been um, creating instances using this kind of technology since 2017 when we when we launched, and then we kept a very careful eye on what was happening with other forms of natural language processing. So also in 2017 This is a real history lesson sorry no it's great it's read. great
1: background because no i genuinely like for me i'm, I'm a lay layman and, and gpt came out of nowhere seemingly for me yeah and that's not uh, the case right like there, there's a whole what you're describing here gives a great uh, sort of lead up and understanding that this didn't just go overnight this no. has been a real journey
0: you, you know what they say is that every overnight success takes at least 10 years um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm only at six years in, so I've got a few more years to go before I can be a success.
1: For you're an international um, household name, yeah,
0: yeah. Now, the big the big guys, you know, Google, Mm -hmm. Facebook, IBM, they've all been working on these problems. And Google, um, even though there was a there was a precursor paper that came out in 2011 um, that talked roughly around how we could understand language better, but someone whose name I've forgotten from Google put out a paper in 2017, and it was called um, uh, Transformers Are All You Need. And it talks about the concept of a a transformer, which is a um, processing algorithm using something called an attention network. You can forget about the word attention network. It's getting quite technical as to how it works. But anyway, I didn't read that at the time, but some of the right people did. Now, Google, IBM, again, all the big guys, started working on this, and they threw hundreds if not thousands of engineers on trying to turn this concept into reality. And after quite some number of years, um, uh, another group started, OpenAI, an interesting term, OpenAI. We'll come back to that if you want, Mm -hmm. um, around the naming of it. But a company called OpenAI came along and said, hey, you know what, let's, um, let's try solving this with a few engineers instead of a thousand. You know that's what Microsoft can do. They can throw a thousand people at it. Now Google had open sourced this paper. They published it. They put it out. It was an academic uh, publication. Just no one was really able to do it. So quietly in the background, all of these big players are putting out. Um, they're putting out versions internally of um, how they can process data in a different way. And not just can it process data, but it can create a response. And this is where the term generative comes from. We used to call it NLG, natural language generation. For some reason, no one uses that. Didn't stick. So now people are talking about Gen AI or generative AI. And when they quickly whip out the word GPT, what they're saying is generative, as in it can write stuff, pre-trained, and that's how it gets its data transformer and that's the really complicated technical bit which i won't explain here but it's very fancy you can go listeners can go back and and read that paper if they want um i've had a crack at it it is beyond me and that's why i've hired people that are smarter than me to um tell me what it means we, we have three phds working for us um and a whole host of other technical people as well can i just so, jump in
1: there and, and ask you a question yeah. so is is the fact that it was an academic paper published by google why it almost seems like it's um, an open source tech that the gpt element and it's and it's how you wrap other tech around that that gives you your yeah. special source now
0: you're bang on so like any patent or or academic publication that goes out it's available to everyone right so um this is what's so unusual about it it went out to everyone it's it's fiendishly complicated to make it work and then it happened to be open ai that took a slightly different approach and they put out an early version, GPT-1, and the next version, GPT-2. These were not very impressive. Mm. And you and I didn't hear about it at that stage because it wasn't very good, and they didn't really want to shout about it. They had very, you know, undercover tests, and Google was testing things, and Microsoft, and IBM, and everyone. It was around about this time, 2020, uh, 2021, 20, 20, 20, that... Uh, I learned about it, started reading about it, and realized we needed to do something. Uh, and then I I actually hired our, our current CTO and we started getting very excited about the same area. OpenAI then released an early an earlier version of GPT, GPT 3, and that went from being I could see the direction they're going to can I swear on here? Yeah, go this was a holy shit moment, yeah. right? This wrote better than me, and I don't write very well. It's a low bar, but I write well enough to get jobs and end up running stuff and hire people. So, um, everything I put into this engine blew me away. Now, I, I'm a very much a very early innovator level adopter, right? So I can see the direction things are going. And, and even though some people might, my mum might have not been impressed, um, I was, I was blown away. So this is where, CTO and I started getting very excited and started, um, started building on this concept. So now they kept that, that relatively quiet and that was very much a techie propeller head internal thing. And I started going around and demonstrating some of what they did and then we, re- we were able to reproduce it at the same level they did and I was demoing our own technology and we were re- refitting and retreating re- um, rebuilding our own product to take a bunch of it. And then they dropped ChatGPT, which was the same technology that had been around for some time, since 2021. But they put a better interface on it. They gave it to the right people and it went viral like nothing has ever, more viral than COVID, right? <laughs> faster nice. faster nice. adoption than COVID or the flu or any kind of technology, more, faster than the wheel, the internet. And I truly believe that. I think this is bigger than the internet. I'll put that out there. Holy crap! Um, so what they did is they marketed it. They gave it a rubbish name. Chat GPT is a stupid name, but they don't care because now everyone wants it. So then people are calling up companies like us and they say, "We want some ChatGPT. GPT. Can you give us some?"
1: <laughs> like I and, can, I can do something with GPT that won't be that name and it has well, a whole different function. Do.
0: You think back to the early days of being MSP and seeing out on-premise stuff for people. Imagine when someone rings up and says, I need a multi-core blade server. You'd be like, okay, but what do you actually
1: want to do? Yeah. What problem are you trying to solve? Come back to that. That's the question.
0: And so we remain focused while the world is going crazy with hype, which is really exciting because it's in our area. We remain relentlessly focused on solving problems for people, regardless of the technology. What we find the best blend is some of that original NLP that we've got. That's really good for for super high accuracy. Some GPT for understanding what people are saying and responding quickly and being able to answer all kinds of wacky questions. Uh, And then people. And when you combine those three, you get a really powerful response. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be in a help desk, answering questions. Those first level support questions like, how do I reset my password? Or Mm. those kind of things which make up the top 10 questions for most companies, internal, external, the top 10 to 20 usually make up 80% by volume. And that's a really good area to do it. So you focus automation where you've got volume and then you bring in humans where it really matters. If you've got something complex, like, um, you know, whatever the, whatever the query might be, humans are great at that.
1: I'm so caught up on your, this is bigger than the internet uh, comment from about a minute ago, because uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you is where is this going in your view? And obviously with that comment, um, everywhere, uh, is, is the answer probably. Um, can you elaborate on, 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 on that statement a bit more?
0: The, I was relatively comfortable that as a people leader, as someone who writes, although I said not very well, uh, but in a business context, and I can present, and, and, um, and I'm also creative, I'm a, I'm a drummer, I'm a musician, which is a guy that hangs, the, I'm a drummer, someone that hangs out with the musicians, right? So I thought, well, I'm safe. Um, it, it's not coming for the creative types. And I was really, really wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and is is that because GPT's the, the the tech behind um like uh what's the one with the um with the imagery creation uh... so Midjourney
0: is is a classic one. There's Dali as well. Um, so Midjourney is the one that I use quite a bit. Um, Dali's by OpenAI. Um, all all the big guys again have got this. The concept um there it's it's the same kind of thing. It's a different type of training, and it takes in uh, image data. Um, but It is simply stunning. So visually, it's stunning for a start. There's music now that can be put out that is almost indistinguishable from something that humans can write. So you can write lyrics, you can do art. And this is how much it's changed in one year. Now, the technology's been coming along, but that means there's a backlog. That means the world is just catching up. So when someone adopts something like ChatGPT, they're catching up on that last six years of hard work that's been put in by many players i think this is what i think happened with ChatGPT. they realized probably that google was about to come out and they just dropped it and they jumped dumped it on twitter and said go have a look it's pretty cool now all of that data that you put in that's training them right that's how they get better it's the very essence of when they say open they mean open to use not open to look at the source code yeah but this is something that's happening, and I, I, I can't remember if I said it. I'll certainly send it after the session. There is a really interesting thing happening around open source. Don't confuse open source with open AI, but open source AI with the big players. I call them the mega players, you know, the, the Googles and Facebooks and Microsoft. I'm rolling in with open AI because they've taken a, um, a significant stake in there. Mm. So, because Remember back to 2017, this important paper comes out and it was done open. So you've got companies, lots of companies have created, there's companies like cohere and hugging face and all kinds of things you won't have heard of because they, they didn't beat open AI to the punch, but they're there. And some of them have been creating open source software and lots of engineers around the world. Now, open AI really taken over the server market. I know some people run Microsoft servers or something. But the majority of people are probably running a free Linux implementation, right? They're probably running Ubuntu or uh, something like that. And, you know, you've had the minds of a whole lot of brilliant people who do this because they like it, they care. And I think this is really important for the democratization. There's a real danger here that a handful of companies corner the power of AI and then they use it to generate, you know, too much, uh, you know, concentration of that power the um, you know bigger than the internet onto that you've seen some half-hearted attempts to regulate the internet and in overall I've been oppressed it's it's rolled out pretty well but you've got this um, got this thing lurking here where AI is at the stage where it can write code to improve itself now you I have know. to create yeah there's a there's a lift of the eyebrows for you So I'll give you a sense. We used AI to create a job description and create a coding test. We then hired a a software developer who is now working on that same code. So it, it can be full circle here. It can even hire people. Now, there's people pushing the buttons at the moment, moving it from step to step. But people are connecting in the wires in the background. This is where the engineering people are really going to play a part. It's kind of been science up to now. But when, you, when science hits the real world, it becomes engineering. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got engineers saying, if I plug this to that, we can do amazing things. And I'll give you an example. So you can use ChatGPT today without any modifications. And you can say, write a script that is a keynote or a PowerPoint presentation about AI. It's going to be 20 minutes long. This is the audience and create the pictures. It will create all that. You paste it into the script page of whichever presentation tool you're working, and it's 100% ready. And it takes about as long as I've just explained it to you. Now, this is something that would have taken a marketing team and three or four SMEs, but you roll back a couple of years. This would have been something you'd work on over a month. Now you can do it in an afternoon, present and go to the bar.
1: Which yeah, obviously if it's binary, if I'm not doing that, I'm at the bar. Uh that's but so but just on that, and you touched on music and and, and art and all this thing, and something I've heard uh from time to time is look, this is all great, but it can only do what's already been done. It has a data set, it takes that. Is is the reality that while sort of that's true, the bigger the data set gets, the more it can manipulate everything within that to essentially come up with a sort of a, a a, a mix of all of the above to to create something that's never been heard before, or seen before, or whatever. Yeah,
0: look, I, I think people that say, "Oh, it's just based on existing tunes," I think they don't understand the technology,
1: okay, and they
0: also don't understand creativity. So I don't know what they've got left, but um, <laughs> and, and I'd love to, you find you find a guest who wants to argue with that. Oh, I can do that all day long. So I, I'm I'm a drummer and I'm a coder, so I reckon I'm entitled to speak and have a view. So. I'm a drummer. I'll, I'll relate it back to a real world thing that I do. I listen to lots of artists. All of that goes into my brain, but my brain's not very good. It's just kind of a statistical engine that throws stuff out as I remember it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I play it wrong and sometimes that wrong thing sounds better. Is that creativity or is that a mistake? And how much of that have I drawn from the fact that I'm listening to Buddy, you know, Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa, drummers from the, you know, from the, origin of jazz, through to, you know, the fact that I might listen to some of the greats today, how much am I drawing from them? It's it's really hard to say. I it I is, think yeah. there's a gap between um, data and creativity. And, and the Bridges, in a deterministic fashion, old world computers call it that, they wrote very derivative things. You'd say, write something that sounds like Vivaldi, and it would sound just like Vivaldi, and little snippets are copied out of it. It's not like that anymore.
1: It's kind you of like can, uh, Bush's, like a, a, an AI version of Nirvana, you know, basically sounds the same. It's obviously come directly from that, but it doesn't sound yeah. exactly like that.
0: Yeah, and then again, um, when you start, if you, if you seek derivative things, you will get highly derivative things, but AI is better than that. So what you say is um, write something that Nirvana would have written if they were still around today. and then you get something different and it's evolved and the kind of thing that's happening in the background is looking at a band 20 years ago looking at the kind of think of post nirvana we'll go foo fighters let's listen to the first foo fighters album versus the last foo fighters album and um and then look at the progression and then map um nirvana onto that okay it's a little bit more of a raw guitar sound it's a little bit wilder on the drums a little bit simpler a bit more shouty um, you've got Nirvana. And it's going to sound similar, of course, because you yeah. asked it for that. But then you could probably do the same with any artist who is no longer around.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting, though. Imagine Nirvana dad rock, which is basically what Foo Fighters are now. Uh, that's that's yeah. that's hilarious. I want to do that. That's a great concept. Uh, and look,
0: you can do all of this. Like, um, wow. if, like draw a picture of a, a robot in the style of Picasso.
1: Yeah, I played around oh, yeah. a bit with that. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, and and you can get, um, and I, I use I'm a very visual person, so I I use did art as an example, but but draw the Mona Lisa in the style of Mondrian, and of course it's of course it's derivative, but when you start feeding in things that are truly random, you you essentially you're seeing this hallucination that comes out of it mid journey. Incidentally, if you don't give it enough data, it always puts birds and floating things in there. It's just the way it dreams.
1: That's so weird. What, how come AI still struggles with fingers, human fingers? What's going on there? Oh,
0: it's hideous, isn't it? Yeah, Anyone it's the stuff who's of nightmares. You go to Midjourney, sign up. It's a bit of a laborious process, but it's worth it. And then get it to create pictures of hands and feet are just as revolting. Ugh. Interestingly, it can't do lots of musical instruments very well. What it what it's not very good at, for some reason, is um. I, what I say is AI is very good especially GPT and these these image diffusion-type techniques, are very good at fiction but not fact. And so they give you something that, at first glance, looks and sounds really good. However, when you dig into the details, it doesn't quite stack up. So that's the way you determine if something's by AI. You know, the fingers go in a funky direction. Why? I've really dug into hands because it really freaks me out. So hands are very rarely seen in their entirety. I'll hold my hand up here you, you can't see my thumb. Hmm. I'll make a fist. you can only see some bits and pieces so AI simply hasn't been trained enough now. If you create a model and you show it really great pictures of hands, it'll be doing perfect hands. It'll be here before you know it, but it's it's been a problem since before AI
1: isn't if it weird, back, weird though like even even is, even humans have struggled with like so many cartoons have four fingers because that's like right yeah.
0: it's the same thing. It's very complex. That that's why in a um you know, if you're doing a drawing class, the ultimate thing is to reproduce a hand. It's it's so so much the hardest thing to do. Just huh. just a pencil drawing of a hand, you go and do that and you realise that um people like Da Vinci were, you know, they had they had a lot of processing power up there because you know, it's, well, it's beyond the Simpsons. They've <laughs> and and there's they've our begun. benchmark. Like, 30-odd years. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's <laughs> the, the definition of plateau's today. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, it was, it, it's been hard for humans, and that reflects something where we have a cognitive challenge. It's the same for AI. This is spooky because if it's hard for humans and it's hard for AI, it tells you there's some similarities there.
1: Yes, that is actually very true. And that should probably is a nice segue, actually, into well, there's there's, there's a couple of things I want to get into. Uh, one is 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 how businesses should be dealing with this, and you wrote a great paper on that 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 we can touch on. Um, the second one is what are the real world opportunities here to leverage this, and your business is is doing exactly that. So I want to drill into that, and for our listeners yeah. in the MSP space and the telco space, it's perfect. Before I do though, I've bounced between being a a guy that goes AI is fantastic because we need to lift productivity because everyone's getting old and we have a smaller workforce that needs to create more revenue to look after all these old people. I've I've gone from there to it's coming for our jobs. Um, so I took my job kind of a bit from South Park. So, uh, where do you sit on that? And and with it being in the news today that um uh. Australia is now apparently looking to legislate um, AI to a certain degree. I don't know how or in what way. It's not clear yet. What do you think about regulation in this space? So I think
0: first off, I think regulation is essential. But what worries me is that no one in New Zealand, you know, where I am, um, has talked to me about it. No one who's got the power to have some influence there. And I, I'm openly right. putting it out there. People are welcome to talk to me from New Zealand, Australia. This is a global thing um and it's where global accords need to be struck i i say it's probably two years before there's some kind of international ai regulation accord because okay. it's it, everyone everyone who knows about it from sam altman at the top of um open ai through to the top guy that godfather of google and you know all the way down right at the bottom of the world there's me we're all asking for it mm. so because uh, well,
1: why why are you asking for it oh the risk of
0: bad actors so I I think when you get a new technology it tends to be people who are really well meaning um and in the early days of the internet you know I um you know when I was around in the in the 90s um yep I'm that old um same yeah um everyone trusted each other total trust people just would take they would just write their credit card details in an email and say can you charge me we'd be like okay we didn't even delete those details it's just in <laughs> someone's inbox somewhere yeah. right and then 99-ish bad people turned up and they started to ruin our party because we just knew all the people early on we all knew each other it was very good all the way around the world people who started software and we had all of each other's details it was great um and then spam turned up and all of a sudden you couldn't trust what was in your email it was they were very naive i wrote one of the world's first spam filters in, in the 90s Um, and, uh, it's like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. And then we had to do things like encrypt our credit cards and then, you know, payment protections came along and then the massive fraud, you know, huge fraud of, uh, PayPal and that kind of thing. So these things mature over time. The people who start, the people who start an initiative usually are, I believe they're motivated. I believe they're good people at heart. Um, I haven't, this is completely my, my guess, by the way, I haven't got any data on this. It's just anecdotes. So um but uh you know people are intending to do the right thing. And then after a while, as they do the right thing, especially if you create something that's quite openly available, all of a sudden you can do the wrong thing. So are spammers using chat GPT to write better spam? Totally. You know, yeah. that's a worry for me. Um but are school kids using Chat GPT to write better essays about things? Yes. And is is Chat GPT content more relevant than Macbeth? Yeah, I reckon it is. You can use it to analyze Macbeth. And I'll give you an example. So one of my kids, um, he uh, he got ChatGPT to write an essay, and then he told it what was wrong with it and asked it to write a better one, and it wrote a better one. Now he's been the teacher, hmm. right? So if, if you think of that, he's he's helping it improve, but he's gaining from that as well. And that's, a, that's an amazing skill. So regulation is coming. And you need it to constrain what bad actors can do. But I, I do think it's a little bit two-faced is too strong. It's it's, it's pretty convenient of OpenAI and Google and the like to be calling for regulation where they've already kind of cracked this thing that's so sensational.
1: They shut the gate behind us? Is that Shut the doing? gate behind you.
0: Yeah. And this is why you need the democratization. So there's a few, this is what open, AI, uh, open source AI is, is going to help with that. Um, but it's, it's a big topic. It's a big topic. And I really welcome anyone in Zealand, Australia, US, anywhere your listeners are. Um, if you've got any influence, you know, point people, point people my way and I'll, I'll have a discussion with them about why it's important.
1: It's uh, so, so two things struck me in that, that answer. One is, uh, you're not coming at it from a, uh, we've got to protect jobs standpoint. Um, that, that, that's not a, a concern. And, and I can, I can see why it's not because of that first I don't think I a risk. You don't think it's a risk no really. more jobs created than lost as you thought or
0: like a tractor
1: yeah okay or a hammer. you still need someone to use it it's got a certain application but point yeah, in the right feed more
0: people yeah exactly so uh, is it going to change the world of work dramatically in a short period of time yeah i i would say it would i would hate to be a, a junior or intermediate level person creating content Right now, I don't mean live content like this. I mean someone who's writing social posts for a brand. Oh, totally. Yeah, but well, once a copywriter,
1: prompt. her job's already changing. Yeah, massively. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So now what you are is you're a, an AI prompt engineer and you have to be really good at working with AI. And if you think about it, it's like working with people. It's almost like you're getting an upgrade in your job because you've got this does the worker job. If you think of the publishing area of, say, writing an article for a newspaper, so I can write a newspaper read article that needs the senior editor to fix a couple of things to make it, you know, a little bit more relevant or timely or, or, or written the way that paper likes to write and they can put it out. But that's a half an hour job um, to create that content whereas it used to be a half day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can accelerate those things. I don't think those people are going to work for half an hour and then go home and get paid to do nothing. And it's not that they're not going to get paid because they'll need to eat they'll find better things to do they'll again I think this it feeds productivity uh, very broadly it was a Microsoft study that was done very recently because this area is moving so fast I think it was two weeks ago uh, which is that uh, the the top reason people are looking at uh, as a business leaders are looking at for this technology is to increase productivity of their team mm-hmm. the bottom reason was to reduce headcount so I that's the direction. I don't want to, I, I, I like working with people. I love hiring people. I hate it when people go. I've never really fired anyone. So, you know, I like to bring good people into the business. And I think most people are, are well-meaning with that.
1: Yeah. I've got a theory that it's going to kind of um, reduce hierarchy in businesses. Uh, and I use mm-hmm. the example of my, of my wife in, in that she was asked to um, essentially create some code to do something with an image in a different platform. Something I don't know the exact details. And she was like, "I don't know how to do this." But instead of saying that, man, go and use ChatGPT to to get to ask the right questions to get the code, then go and embed it. And then
0: yeah. it turns
1: out that that instead of having to get the senior who was away at the time involved, she just did it, and she's not a senior. And so for me, it was just a good illustration of again that democratization of of skill sets and ability, and yeah. and and again, you can make yourself far more valuable if you're prepared to be a prompt engineer and and, and use the tools that are now out there. It's so a great think, way to put it. Do you know yeah. the
0: sky, do you know the, um, the skyscraper analogy for, um, cities that, cities that build the tallest skyscraper usually then have an economic crash right afterwards. So it happened with, um, it happened with the Empire State building, you know, building that and then they went through the huge depression. And it, it's looked at, it's, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, um, it's really well known. Um, there is that, um, There is that possibility that that's what software developers went through. 21, 22, so 2021 and 2022, there was a massive skyrocketing in salaries for software developers. And just as it peaked, as just as ChatGPT came out, the markets were turning, people stopped hiring and they started dropping headcount. The the, the pay for software engineers has come down significantly. I am one and I hire lots of them, so I know. And it has interestingly coincided. You know, there was the skyscraper effect where all of a sudden you've got juniors who are earning substantial six-figure sums with a year's experience. These are people who barely know, you know, when they can take a toilet break. And I'm being a little facetious there, but... Um, You know they're still looking. They're still looking around for their corner office and their car. The answer is
1: before there's a mess. Uh, That is when you take your toilet break. Just don't get to that point. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, sorry. But
0: but it's peaked and now something's come out. And I thought again, I thought coders were safe, but coders are not.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I guess it just goes to show that the potential disruption, right? Uh, I just on the the regulation part as well. A point I wanted to make, which I don't know, you might challenge, but it's just um taxation is regulated right every everybody tries to have tax but there's always some country that's like where the place you want to be if you want to basically Mm. not be taxed much there will still be uh you know sovereign entities uh, or jurisdictions where they're like hey you want to basically go for your life on ai where your people but but at the same time that doesn't mean that no one should try to regulate it. it it's you know we we make burglary uh, a criminal offense it's still going to happen but you yeah. give it your best crack right so it's a
0: combination you know i'm, I'm not a i'm not a, a policy guru so i don't know how it's best done but in industries i've worked in in financial services which is highly regulated so um the best regulation is done by the industry themselves and uh working out which things not to connect you know in the ai example you know don't don't connect um don't uh, connect certain things together, but it's all right to connect others. Um, I think there will be kind of common standards, best practices, etc. that can take you so far. And then um, I do agree, you can't just say, hey, you can't do this over here because someone will go, pardon me, somewhere else. Mm. But I think what you can do is you can have accords that people agree to and sign up. It'll be happening soon. Um, you know, Microsoft say, we're doing the responsible AI thing and Google say, yeah, we, we're going to hold hands with you and dance into the AI sunset mm-hmm. um, and then make those places appealing to be. Um, you'll always have some dodgy lab somewhere trying to do something. Um, it's, you know, this is beyond most people to create systems yeah. that do this. I don't
1: mean using GPT, it's become incredibly so I mean, it's easy. But yeah, the, but the creation the, of these tools is extremely complex.
0: Yeah, yeah. At the base level, if those are then um, widely available, and people start plugging them into hardware. That's where it gets a little bit scary. But the, the one thing I've heard about is that um, there's going to be a mandated um, off switch. Um, so this this is the discussion of where things could go. Is some kind of mandated physical off switch? It sounds a bit a bit basic, but you know, you push the big button and everything turns off, you turn off the servers kind of thing. I think it's a nice idea. I think you'll get, you know, kind of virtual off-switch providers, guaranteed no AI in here. And yeah, I don't know yeah. where it's going, but...
1: That's super so yeah. interesting, though, because there's mandatory, what's um, it sort look interception laws, right, in New Zealand and Australia, right? As a operator, yeah. you've got to give access to the government's yeah. agencies to just go, hey, if we want to, we're in there. And I think it might yeah. be very similar. But I think that's, I've never heard that before, and I think it's a really interesting point, that that Accord where it's like you have a big... It's like, you know, made in New Zealand, made in Australia, that kind of a logo somewhere because uh, with Elon Musk going out there and others going, it's going to be the end of civilization. They're creating fear with people that definitely don't understand what AI is. Yeah. If you can then as a brand go, we're part of an accord that says, we hear you. We know it can be a little bit scary and we're not part of that. Um, that'll, yeah. I think, have the ability to add some, some um, a, a sense of safety for the consumer and maybe add a, a bit of a sales uh, okay. driver.
0: I, I figured that there's a bunch of things that will happen in there. And again, it'd be an interesting area to be part of. I would welcome, um, I would, well, you know, I, stuff like this, I'm I'm happy to provide my thoughts um, to, to anyone who will listen. Um, I think it would be really important that the concept of regulation is picked up and been approached very proactively. Um, but yeah, I look at, you know, different election cycles. I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be, um, how it's going to play out as as policy, actually, I don't know where people will fall. Like, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a pollster after all. But-
1: no, nor am I. So what we'll do instead is we'll move on to something that I think our who are predominantly uh, MSPs and telcos, will be very interested in. Um, in your business with what you do in in uh, I guess engendering or, or enabling uh, better customer experiences, um, more accurate outcomes, uh, better use of people's time. Uh, enabling people to deal with more complex faults rather than the simple stuff, mm. all of those things. At what point does a business become big enough for the cost of implementation to 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 justify the investment in terms of the return and all of those things? You know, better experiences, maybe a, a higher price point because of the great value it's adding. You know, less um, additional staff having to be hired to do dumb tier one reset password mm. stuff. So, so what's the what's the the cusp at which uh, it's worthwhile? How many how many bums on seats do you need?
0: Usually the guide we say is that if you've got six people who are doing either customer service or tier one type support, then it's time to be thinking seriously about making your seventh employee a digital employee.
1: That's super interesting because that's way lower bar than I think I thought. And I think a lot of other people thought as well. I think in our industry, I think we start thinking, oh, it just sounds like you've got to have like a hundred staff before you start having the demand or something. Um, yeah, if you had a hundred staff, um, wow, that'd be an amazing, an amazing setup. Um, okay.
0: it'd be, you, you're probably a bit late.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing too. Uh, but I guess also like, what do you have to have ready to do this? Like, uh, I think we were like, yeah. we use Zendesk for example. Right. Um, yeah. and, um, even our, um, sort of knowledge bank, you know, the help articles, you've got to create a lot of this in house and it'd be so interesting to use chat for some of this now, but Yeah. But, but so, so how much of your, your tech relies on a company like us actually going, you know what, we've documented the search out of everything. We have got help articles for virtually everything you could think of. And then you feed that into your tool, or is it more, is it simpler than that?
0: There's a, there's a couple of answers there. So a lot of the things that you're looking to solve are actually solved problems. So you might not have your own documentation for it, although of course you should, um, the reality is that um, you're doing pretty well if something's 90 percent documented okay. and you're relying on a lot of institutional knowledge there so the question is do you want to put that institutional knowledge in something that we'll never forget mm-hmm. so it's a good time you, you start with six people um what we say is by the time you're thinking about adding another team just work out what kind of a team you want and do you want an automated team so um, Getting, getting started, if you've got any data, then you can start to automate. And one of the things you get when people talk to a machine, usually people want to type. I'll be very open there. Voice may become more of a channel with this, but um, when people interact with, um, with automation, they, they prefer to, to, to chat. Um, so the, the thing you get, once you've put in some of your, um, some of your answers, Yes, you can augment that with some answers from ChatGPT and and, and other tools. Uh, And a lot of that's available right now. Um, But customers will start to ask what they need. And if you don't have a suitable answer for it, you can say, I haven't got a suitable answer. But then you know what they're interested in. And after just a few days of 20 or 30 requests coming in, you're going to get a pretty good sense of what those top ones are. And if all you ever do is attack that marginal next best now, next most important thing to answer. Within a few months, you're going to be answering ninety percent of the questions that people have. Now, right. we don't think you have to go into the long tail and answer the question that you get once a year. You, you could.
1: That's the twenty rule, basically.
0: The absolutely, it's always, it's always that rule. You, you just don't need to go there. And you have, again, you get the best balance when you've got the automation and the people, and you get the best are uh, cost blend as well.
1: Yeah, Makes sense. And 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 when you've got a portal, right? And you know that you could solve a lot of a client's uh problems or or their questions by by having them actually use the damn thing you've created, uh, because we get that a lot ourselves, um, particularly in the consumer space to be honest. Um, is there a way you can you can look at user behavior inside the portal to come up with guided tours that really push people towards the most common you know, 80 of the time people are looking for this are you looking for this we see you've not used this before can you use um the ai to to essentially look at at what people have or have not looked at before inside of a portal and guide them to perhaps the, the highest um, frequency solutions
0: yeah you, you could uh you could build an, an algorithm to do that or you just listen to what they're what to what they're asking, and in the background, you, you know, say someone's chatting with the chatbot. It's, let's talk real specifics here. They're chatting with the chatbot. I need some help with dot dot dot. You know, setting up a printer. And then in the background, you can just load the the top three articles. You know, the the teaser for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and say we've loaded some articles that might be right for you. You know, click on them if you think it's suitable. Otherwise, give us some more information. What kind of printer is it? What building are you in? What floor are you on? And you can continue to progressively qualify them through the process. So if you, what we're talking about here could be quite a sophisticated support mechanism. The thing that's really hard to get past, people won't adopt the channel. There's not much you can do. That's true. <laughs> you've can you you've got to get people in there. Now, this is where I'd suggest to to your listeners, if you're, if you're certain cohorts really well, like if you're if you're working with, Creatives, you know, people who are writers and artists and stuff, they will um, they will likely use this kind of a technology. If you're working with field service workers of electrical utilities, they probably won't. So you have to match it to that. But what we do say is, people want to choose the channel. So if you don't give them choice, they'll use what you've got. You know, I know that was it the NHS in Britain only unplugged their fax machines um, a couple of years ago because people wanted to use faxes.
1: We still have so you're, many clients. You're rolling your eyes. Oh, my God. Lawyers, oh my God. doctors, stop doing it. They love anyway. it.
0: Oh, my God. They love it. it. And the funny thing was, especially the banks and the lawyers, they would say, oh, but it's so secure. No, you've got an analog picture running through the phone lines. <laughs> it's not secure. Surely that's easily intercepted. Yeah. like Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's dead easy. You could You could actually just record it. With you, with a you know, with a, with a recorder and play it back to a machine, and it can print out the picture. You know, it's, it's completely insecure. But perception is reality, mm. and that's one of those things. What we find in terms of adoption of these channels, uh, if you put your phone number in in thirty point bold right up the top, people are going to use the phone number. If you put your email address there, they'll use the email address. Mm. And if you put a chatbot link and take them into that, or a link to your portal. They'll go there. Now they might move again, but you can give them a sense as to where you want to go. And we've got some people doing interesting things. You know, you put a QR code on something. Need some more help with that? Scan that. And it sends in not only, it's a deep link, right? So it says, you know, hi, Brendan. I see that you ordered um, this pair of shoes and they've just arrived. What do you think of them? Nice. So that kind of thing. That's all, that's the kind of thing that can be done and it can be done with, um... sorry, did I lose you there?
1: No. Nope, just me with my frozen okay. face. Okay. <laughs>
0: anyway, it can it can be done with um with support tickets. It can be done. Send a link to people. Say, hey, next time if you want instant service, um, and and you don't want to wait fifteen minutes to get support, click here.
1: Have you found that there's any um any preference by by people to adopt uh, between B 2 C and B to B? Have you found that that either either market segment? is is more open to adopting those sort of chatbot type features
0: yeah look, b2c is really strong uh i think of course people are conditioned to solve their problems through text these days yeah uh in business there is a bit of, bit of an expectation that you want to you know the classic thing i've worked on a help desk i've worked on a help desk for microsoft many years ago um you want to jump on the phone and, and and you know you know ball out the it guy mm-hmm. yeah I, well, I, I'll, I guess. I'll, I'll have a shout at him you know so Your customers would have that all the time. And um, so they actually want a release and an outlet. Um, So you can't always deal with that, but it's really more kind of demographic denominated. So if you're doing, say you're supporting a retail store and you you just want to have a channel for people to get support, maybe on the point of sale till that you can have click here for, for instant support pop this up ask your question get a response back from the machine or click and wait for human or whatever it might be people in a people in a clothing store aimed at young people are going to use it no problem people in a hardware store aimed at older people maybe less so
1: maybe less so yeah um because uh we need to wrap this up shortly I just wanted to touch on a a very good document that you wrote um uh called organizational readiness AI and, and GBT um, first of all, where can people find that? Is that on your site's blog, Ambit's blog, or is that... Yeah, it's
0: going to be published. I, I literally finished it yesterday. I okay. think uh, you're about the second person to receive it. I think oh, you've And well, I'll send you. you a link where people can, um, can download that. And it's for any organization, um, need to start thinking about it. And the concept is that you've got to think about it at the top. And if the people at the top aren't thinking about it, you're behind and probably at risk.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I, you made a, a comment elsewhere that, um, all businesses now are tech businesses, basically. Yeah. And um, it, you may not, as a business owner at, or, or a manager at the moment, think, hey, uh, we're heavily using this, but you can guarantee your staff are. They're going to be oh, yeah. all through your organization, which means that you've got company information probably being fed into these databases to oh, yeah. generate quick outcomes, right? So so you have to have structures around it. You have to have people who take responsibility for it in your organization, some type of guidelines and and maybe education but i think that the document that you created really really sets a great template to work through um in this space yeah.
0: look it's a get started and, and the point is that then if they want to learn more they can have a chat with with someone like yourselves and um and you can say where to go from here you'll get that from a lot of places and it's the voice of the customer then you'll come up with a, something that suits your customers really well
1: yeah yeah no i like it i will definitely put a link to that in the uh, look at Remain. Uh, I'll make sure one of us remembers to put a link to that document uh, on your site uh, when it's up um, on LinkedIn uh, and on the uh, on our blog site. So that's cool. Um, is there anything you would like to plug uh, while you're here? Anything where people should find you in particular that you'd like to point them towards? Oh yeah,
0: uh, thank you. So, Ambit AI is us, um, and I'm I'm Tim Warren. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's the best place uh, to find me. I'm always there. I think that's how we. Connect. I saw you
1: kind of a big deal as well, about ten thousand followers from what I saw, which craps all over mine, but uh, so it Yeah, play. <laughs>
0: well, it's, it's not a competition, but you know it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is now. There you go get some bots. Yeah. No, ahead. absolutely.
0: Hey, well, come find me. I mean, we we really do specialize, and we, we we work really well with service desk, uh, customer service. Retail, utilities, um, financial services, that's where we play really well. If you've got a lot of customers, then you can probably automate something through us.
1: Sounds good. All right, we'll make sure that uh, we share this widely on the old LinkedIn. Uh, It's been a fantastic chat. I've really appreciated it. I've learned a hell of a lot. So thank you very much for taking the time and coming to talk to us. Awesome, thanks,
0: great.